open up with an apology tonight. I know. You know what's coming, right? Pervaded is, is a real word, it turns out. Well, well, so I was giving my wife a hard time last week, right? Were you here last week? Who was here last week? Yeah. So I was giving my wife a hard time saying that she had made up a word, but actually it turns out it is an actual word, so here I am. Because she's preaching next week for Mother's Day weekend, I have to behave myself tonight, or the law of reciprocity will find me out, right? You can't outrun reciprocity, we, we, so I'm, I'm, I'm behaving myself tonight. So I'm going to try to work pervaded into my sermon at some point. So maybe you'll get points if you pick up you get you pick up on that. So you know tonight's the uh, last week in a series that we've been in called "We Won't Back Down," and and uh, this has been a good series for us as a church. It's 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 we've taken on some topics that are historically controversial for churches, and it's part of our way of saying as a church that that if it's in this book, it's going to find its way into this pulpit. That that we cannot be afraid to talk about the things that sometimes are uncomfortable. That's part of the responsibility as a church. And you also know that we've been using the, the imagery of the Titanic. It's the 100th anniversary. It sank in April of 1912. It's the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. And we've used that imagery because as terrible of a, as, of a tragedy as that was, that the shipbuilding industry didn't end, pleasure cruises didn't end, transatlantic travel didn't end. And we're using that imagery to say to you that even in these areas that we have talked about together over these last several weeks, even if you've tried to conquer them at some time in your past and have failed, your past failures do not have to determine your tomorrows, right? You can have future successes even if you've only had past failures in these areas of your life. And the life verse, if you're new to the church, if you're visiting tonight, we pick a text that's kind of our what we call our life verse, and oftentimes it'll travel with us through the whole series. We've been working out of Acts 28:31. Speaking of the Apostle Paul, it says, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God. In teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, no one tried to stop him. Not because of their cowardice, but because of his courage. That his message was compelling because there was a courageousness of heart that he carried when he brought the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to be a church that is courageous. Not arrogant, come on, but courageous. With humility, be confident in the truth of God's word and that there is a message that the community needs to hear, yes, about Christ. And we're going to bring that message. But there's also, a Christ had a lot to say about how to live our lives. He had a lot to say about what's to come in heaven, but he had a lot to say about what we do on the way there. And that's the topics that we've been tackling together in this series. We opened up with overeating. So you know we like to do a giveaway Come on at the City Life Church, use sometimes a couple of them every weekend. So I've got a, a $10 card here that can be used at these area restaurants. And I know you'll only use the salad bar for, uh, for it. because uh, So somebody, the most weight, who's lost the most weight since the sermon on overeating? Come on, don't be shy. Who's lost the most pounds? Come on, with the week after, people's hands were popping up all over the place. Anybody want to give a, give, a, give a number? Uh, Dustin? 18. Anybody beaten 18? Oh, I see a hand in the back. Lori? 22 and a half. Come on, you should be clapping. What's wrong with you? All right, somebody else. Anybody beat 22 and a half? Do I hear 23? I have to practice my auctioneering. All right, come on, Lori. Congratulations. Nice. Nice. 
22 and a half. I like it. All right, let's, let's do it. Let's give another one. I got this book was sent to me. It's by John Maxwell. I'm a big fan of John Maxwell. It says, Today Matters. It says, 12 daily practices to guarantee tomorrow's success. So somebody, we did overworking, right? We talked about practicing a weekly Sabbath. Somebody here that since that sermon that you intentionally practiced a Sabbath day for the first time. It might be you've rested before, you've taken vacations, we, or you, you know, you've taken an afternoon off, but, but, but you said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice a Sabbath day, and that you've begun a, a routine and a ritual of, of working a Sabbath day into your week. Come on, Shani's the first hand up. Come on, you should be clapping. Nice, enjoy that. Okay, for the next one, raise your hand if, no, I'm just kidding. I know what some of you are thinking. What's he going to do as a giveaway for that one? So we're going to skip over number three because that's not any public information. But if you weren't here last weekend, you need to listen to that podcast. All kidding aside, if you were not here last week, you need to listen to that podcast. We're going to do some of these, if not all of these, every year as a church. Every year. We have got to be a church that engages these conversations, especially, especially when it comes to human sexuality. So if you weren't here, you've got to get that podcast. Also, every week we put the notes for the sermon online. And so you're going to want to, uh, if there's a, a message that really speaks to your heart, then you can go on there and see a lot of the verses and the notes and things like that. So tonight we're going to be talking about overspending. Tonight's about overspending. Performance appraisals. Ever had one? What are some topics that you've seen? We like participation at the City Life Church. So, so what would happen if tomorrow you showed up for work and your boss said, I've got, I've got some news for you. We've made lots of corporate changes. We're doing away with performance appraisals. You know what you would say? All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Right? You all know what would happen. Productivity would plummet. Right? Any business that's tried to be creative and do away with accountability and performance appraisals, we don't even remember the names of those businesses anymore because they don't exist. Part of what humanity needs is humanity needs accountability. And so all of you, if you've ever had a job, whether it's a summer job, at some point you've had a performance appraisal. So what are, what are some questions that you've had on your performance appraisal or some areas of exploration that they've talked about with you? It doesn't necessarily mean it was constructive criticism for you, but it was something that they looked at in your appraisal. Come on, somebody. Sonia. Organizational skills. Yep. Come on, somebody else. Shani. Leadership. Time management. Come on, somebody else. Wayne. Delegating. Yes, are you a delegator? Somebody else. Anybody? Somebody from this section. Come on. You can't let these sections out, do you? Doug? Say it again. Attendance. Yep, that's an important one. Decision making. Somebody up here? Did somebody have a hand up here? Kevin? Interpersonal communication. Nice. How well you play with others, for those of you. Clem, your knowledge of the job, yes. Your life, the knowledge of the job should, I can't, I'm trying to work it in, honey. I can't do it, pervaded. I'm going to get it. I was making a run at it, but I, I failed. That's going to be on my performance appraisal. Nathaniel, deliverables, yes, things that were assigned to you that you needed to do. Come on, somebody else, one more. Hygiene, you bet, yes, come on. <laughs> Scotty expectations. This is their marriage month. They're getting married this month. Come on, Scotty and Sabra. Did I see another hand come up in here? April? 
Customer satisfaction, yeah. Performance appraisals, we've all had them. You're going to keep having them. I remember before I crossed over into vocational ministry in 1999, I was in the call center industry, and I was walking through the, 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 the call center, and, and I noticed that there was an empty seat. It wasn't somebody from my team, but I still noticed that they weren't there. And so as I'm walking by, I noticed this is a 40, she, she was a full-grown, she was probably 40 years old. We'll, we'll call her Carol. I don't remember her name. And I couldn't find Carol, and so I'm looking around, and I noticed that she is, I kid you not, curled up under her cubicle, sound asleep with her coat as a pillow right there in the office. She wasn't on my team, so I kept walking, right? But I, but I called her manager, Sherry, and I said, hey, you might want to go over to Carol's desk, and then I hung up the phone. And you know what I was thinking, right? Oh, that's going to be on her performance appraisal, right? Sleeping under your desk at the job. If you've got a good boss, when you walk into your performance appraisal, nothing that's on there comes as a surprise to you. You know what they're looking for, things that maybe you've not so, done so well in. They've already talked to you about things that you have excelled in. They've already talked to you about. It should be, if you, if you have a, a good working environment and you have a good boss, then it should be that you could basically write your own performance appraisal, compare it to theirs, and it would almost match up exactly. That's a great measure. It's one of the practices that we did. We would do a performance appraisal. The staff person would fill out the same form, and then our bosses, part of our performance appraisal was how close their performance appraisal matched up ours because that's good leadership. Jesus is the best boss that you're ever going to have, and in the end of time, when you breathe your last there's an evaluation that you're going to sit down and have with him. Come on, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse, this is the New Living Translation. I'm going to work out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible up here. So I'm going to read 1 through 5, and then we're going to jump down to verse 42. It says, In these circumstances, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. He began to say to his disciples, First, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered. Come on, there's going to be an appraisal in the end of time. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the ear in private rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more, but I will show you the one to fear. And there's a part of us that thinks he's going to start talking about the devil, right? The great tempter, but that's not where it goes. It catches us off guard. He says, fear him, speaking of the Father, speaking of God, who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. All right, let's jump over to verse 42. 42. It says, the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? That slave whose master finds him working when he comes will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and the female slaves and to eat and drink and to get drunk, then that slave's master will come on a day he does not expect and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Sobering, isn't it? You and I, in the end of time, are going to sit down with a father and there's a performance appraisal that he's going to walk us through. Now, you don't work your way into heaven. 
We're not talking about that. That's why we started with communion, putting this message on this Saturday with communion. The, 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 the ability to even sit down with the Father before you begin eternity in heaven is all about grace and nothing more. Jesus died on a cross for you and for me, even though there's boxes of clickers in heaven, right, counting our sin. There's, even if it only clicked one time for you, that would be enough to keep you out of heaven. And it's only by the grace of God, because you've made a vow of devotion to Jesus Christ, and he's died for you and for me, that we can even step into the heavenlies with the Father. That's taken care of by grace. But once that's settled for us, the Bible also begins to talk to us like it does in Luke 12, and begins to say, hey, those who are going to be with God in heaven for all eternity, it might be grace that got you there, but we're going to have to sit down and have a conversation about what we did with the life that he so graciously gave to us. It doesn't explain how it's going to happen, but it says that rewards are going to be given to faithful acts, and it says that there's accountability and consequences for mistakes. Now, we don't know what that means. That's not given to us. That's not explained to us. That's not for us to understand, but it doesn't mean that there shouldn't be something inside of us that says, when I sit down with that conversation with God, I know it's not going to be perfect, but I want it to be as good as it possibly can. There is an appraisal that is waiting for you and for me, and I don't know about you, but I'm gunning for employee of the month. I want my chariot in heaven. I want the parking space, right? You ever go to a place, you're running late, you've all been tempted, and many of you have failed in your sin. A clicker got clicked for you, right? I don't even work in this place, but I'm late. I'm going to park in the employee of the month parking spot. And because they're the employee of the month, they're not going to mind when they show up at, for work, right, and a customer is parked in their place. But I want to I wanna, right, get out of my chariot and, how you doing, Gabriel, right? Because he he's got a staff spot at the front. You're not going to recognize me in heaven because I'm going to have lots of hair. <laughs> lots of hair. I'm not going to look like Forrest Gump in heaven. Yeah. See, while you guys were taking notes in the sermon last week, Nate was surfing the internet looking for pictures of Forrest Gump because of the outfit that I had on last week. Anybody seen that on Facebook? Uh, yeah, yeah. We should, have, we should have had a picture flash up there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you're not, you're, you're gonna, that, he sounds like Pastor Fred, but he doesn't look the same, right? There should be something inside of us that says, I'm not afraid of the appraisal that's coming for me because I've lived well. I've not been perfect, but I have given my heart to this thing called being a follower of Jesus. And I know there's going to be constructive criticism. I know there's going to be some consequences, but I also know that there are going to be some moments of celebration where he says to me, hey, in the, right here, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want you and I want me, I want my kids, I want all of our families, I want people from this city because the City Life Church was here in the ministry that we did to hear that said a lot to them. A good boss gets you ready for the appraisal that's coming, and that's part of why this book is given to us. 16 out of 38 parables of Jesus deal with money. One, I kid you not, one out of every 12 New Testament verses deal with money and material possessions. One out of every 12. Over 2,000 total verses in the Bible that deal with money and material possessions. There's only 500 that speak to prayer. There's less than 500 that deal with faith. Over 2,000! What do you think God's trying to say to you and me? It's going to be on the test. Right? 
He's trying to say to us over and over and over, there is going to be a section. There's going to be a huge portion of your performance appraisal as a follower of Christ that deals with your stewardship of all the material things that God has entrusted to you. And the wisdom of this book, much of it is given to us so that we can hear him say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant, when it comes to the stewardship of our material possessions. I know you didn't notice this, but see Warren Matthews, right? He had a... He had somebody that survived the Titanic. Come on, you can meet him at the end of the service. He's 130 years old. I'm only doing that because after the service, the last time, we had these pictures used for the, uh, the overeating one, and, and Sandy, and I had not noticed that, and, and Sandy came up. I think somebody pointed out to you and said, hey, there's a picture of Warren in your series. I said, oh, I'm going to work that back in. I'm going to work that back in. That's great. <laughs> I, I, we'll just look at it for a few more minutes. Like a, <laughs> oh, it's great. Come on, we like to laugh at the city. I hope you like to laugh at church. Come on. Come on, it's going to be on the test. This weekend, we're going to give ourselves four attitude scores and four productivity scores. Four attitude scores and four productivity scores. Overspending is not going to be God's assessment of my life in the end. We put my in there, not just for me to say that about myself, but so you can say it about your life. So that you can read that and say, Fred, overspending is not going to be God's assessment of my life in the end. Now, we're not going to get through all of these tonight, but we've written this sermon in such a way that you can take it, you can download it. It's going to be on there next week. You'll be able to download the notes, and the ones that we don't get to, there's lots of verses that are connected to each one, and that you're going to take a study Bible. There's all kinds of great study Bibles. If you don't have a study Bible, you can go to your local Christian bookstore. You can order one online, but lots of great study Bibles, say like the Thompson Chain one, that, that you can find a verse, and then it gives you a list of a lot of other verses in the Bible that relate to that same topic. So the ones that we don't get to tonight, we're hoping that you're going to download those notes and you're going to work through that assessment. Does that make sense? You're going to give yourself a score and you're going to begin to put some plans in place where you've scored low to see that number move up, trusting that the Holy Spirit is there with you every step of the way because God is not a boss who takes pleasure in our failure. He's always trying to set set us up for success. He gives us the answers to the test ahead of time. Come on. Because he likes to celebrate success over our lives. All right, so the first one is this, am I submitted? Am I, see that word right out of the gate, right, just makes us cringe. Am I submitted? There has got to be a place that all of us come to in our heart where we are willing to say, everything that I have belongs to God. Everything that I have belongs to God. That you're not going to tolerate it right? Okay, well, I know it's true, but I don't like it. There's going to be something inside of your heart that says, I want to submit myself. I I want to take joy and delight in living my life with a perspective that everything that I have belongs to him. If I were to show up at your house tomorrow and hang out with you and treat everything that you have as if it belonged to me, it would be the last time that you would invite me to come over to your house, right? It would be obnoxious, it would be insulting, it would be irritating, but yet many of us, we wake up every day of our lives, and that's what we do to God. Everything that we have, 
belongs to him. Luke 16, 13 through 15 says this, no one can serve, which means submitted. No one can be submitted to two masters. The human heart was not designed for divided loyalty. Come on. The human heart was not designed for divided loyalty. For you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and scoffed at him. Speaking of Jesus, then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What's he saying? Oh, there's a test in the end. There's an appraisal that you're going to sit down for. He sees and he knows all. Then it says, what this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Jesus used strong language. In fact, if we were to modernize this, what we could say is what this world honors makes God want to throw up when he sees it. That's what it literally means. Anybody like to watch the show Andrew Zimmern, Bizarre Foods, right? Anybody like to watch that? I gag at least once watching that show every time, right? But I can't look away. You ever been in a situation like that, right? I'm going to throw up, but I just can't look away. I remember one of my favorite episodes is he was somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa and, and uh, in, this, in this small desert town, they would eat raw meat, not sushi, not fish out of the lake, right? But it was, I think it was either camel or horse. I don't remember which one it was. And, and when, the way that they would let, I know some of you are gagging already, right? Oh, it's going to get worse. So are the bags that the ushers put the bags out? They put the bags out. And the seat back in front of you, there's a... The way that they would let you know that the meat was fresh and had been recently slaughtered, they would take the head of the animal and they would put it on a spike that was attached to the outside of the shop. And that's how you knew that it was fresh meat. You would walk in, right, and they had this, this big wooden chopper's block. They had a knife that had never seen the inside of a dishwasher in its whole life. And there's flies everywhere and they're chopping up this red raw meat, right? And just people are coming up and taking pieces and just eating them. Right. Oh, my goodness. You should get a picture of that because that's what Jesus is talking about. It's strong language, isn't it? To think that sometimes God, in observing us, the way we treat things as if they belong to us, but they really belong to him, Jesus says sometimes you just make God gag. Strong language, isn't it? Something inside of us should say, I don't want to be that person. When God looks at me, I want him to find a heart that is submitted to the reality that I own nothing. Not my children, not my talents, not my time, not my money, not my car, not my home. There is nothing that I have that belongs to me. It's all been entrusted me for a time. If you were to go back and pick up your kids from the nursery and one of the nursery workers were to say to you, you know what, I really like this child. I think I'm going to keep them. Thank you for dropping them off. You couldn't get to 911 fast enough on your phone. You understand in, in our social culture that there are boundaries that we don't cross. And God says, so why do you cross them in the kingdom? Everything that you have belongs to me. I remember in 1991, I had made a decision to be a follower of Christ in December of 1990. And I started reading through the Bible in a year for the very first time in my life. And I remember getting to Psalm 24:1, and it changed my life. It's the verse that says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
The earth is God's and everything. And I remember reading that verse and something changed in my heart. Going from a place of hearing something to a place of being submitted to a principle and it began to change the way that I lived. Something in you should be different tomorrow because you wake up with a revelation that says, everything that I see has been entrusted to me. God, how would you have me care for it? Am I finding out what he wants to do with this stuff? See, because we, what we don't have the freedom to say when it comes time for our performance appraisal, God, I didn't know what you wanted to do. I didn't realize you wanted to do that with that money. I, 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 didn't, I didn't realize that's what you wanted me to do with that used car to give it to that single mom. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. And you know what he's going to say to you? You didn't ask. There is an expectation that we initiate conversations with God all throughout our lives. What do you want to do with fill in the blank? It is the sign of a submitted heart. It's the sign of a heart that says, I recognize it belongs to him. When you get a raise, when you come into unexpected resources, when you're putting your budget together, we're probably not going to get to that one tonight, but Nathan is leading a life group. Come on, it's Total Money Makeover. Is that the name of it? If you, if you do not live off a family budget, you need to be in that life group. It's going to be on your test in the end of time. There should be something inside of my heart that says, I am submitted to the truth and the principle that everything that I have belongs to God. Am I cheerful? Oh, yeah, that's a hard one, isn't it? When our kids, during their formative years, we punished disobedience. We also punished obedience with a bad attitude, just as we did disobedience. You with me? If they obeyed, right, they had to obey with a cheerful heart. It's a parent's responsibility to shape the hearts of their... If you've got young kids, this is a sidebar, if you've got young kids and you have not invested time in a Christian-based biblical parenting class, then it's going to be on your test at the end of time and good marks are not waiting for you. I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's a sacred responsibility to raise our children. It comes natural to have them. That was last week. Sermon, right? But it does not come natural to raise them. You invest in your time. For some of you, I'm telling you that your, 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 your appraisal does not look good because you've not invested to say, God, how would you have me raise your children? It changes it, doesn't it? Come on. With a cheerful heart, God expects us to live a, a life that's submitted to him, but do it with cheerfulness, to do it with gladness, to celebrate the fact, to celebrate the fact, oh, I like this book. A lot of people like to write books on giving, but they don't give very much. You with me? If you're looking for a book on generosity and giving, then read a book that's somebody who's given much. This is by Robert Morris. I'm going to read you an excerpt. It says, I mentioned earlier that when Debbie and I got married, our combined gross income was $600 per month. That's an annual income of $7,200. And after a few months of tithing and giving extravagantly to the Lord, Debbie got a different job that paid $18,000 a year. And about that same time, I began preaching and doing revivals. In the first year, my income from my offerings was $32,000. Thus, together, our annual income went from $7,200 to $50,000. In our second year of marriage, as we continued to tithe and give whenever and wherever the Holy Spirit directed, Debbie quit her job in order to stay at home while my income increased to $72,000. 2000 our income had now risen from 7200 to 72000 a tenfold increase. Within three years, our income had risen to more than $100,000. Here it comes. Are you ready? And by God's grace, we were given 70% of it away. I'm having the time of our lives doing it. 
You want to read a book about giving, you read a book that's written by someone who's given much. There's something significant to God about tenfold and a hundredfold returns. I've seen it throughout my whole life. I remember the story that I related in chapter one. You're not going to know that, but you can get the book and read it. Come on. I remember on one occasion, somebody tells another story, which I was at a ministry conference at a large Dallas convention arena, and we were sitting way up in one of the balcony sections toward the back of the crowd, numbering around 10,000 people. We didn't have very much money at that point. We know that, why that is, right? Because they'd given it all away. But at the offering time, I felt strongly that the Lord wanted me to give $100. It was going to be a step of faith to give that amount. The minister who was receiving the offering said, I want you to pray and ask God to bless the offering that you're giving. And when he said that, I felt impressed to hold the offering up over my head as we prayed. And just as I did, a thought came to me. So I prayed it. I said, Lord, I ask you for a hundredfold return of this offering so that I can give even more to the kingdom of God. I didn't know it at the time, but there was a man sitting in the arena floor up near the platform. And at the moment, I lifted my offering to the Lord with a heart full of gratitude. Come on, a cheerful heart. God spoke to him and told him to turn around and look. Well, come on. That's good, isn't it? And as he turned around, he noticed way back up in the upper reaches of that arena, the tiny figure of a man with his hand raised to the Lord. And the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, I want you to give that man $10,000. Later, the man found me, and he gave me a check for $10,000. Come on. And it wasn't a rubber band. Exactly 100 times the amount that I had just been given. He says, please understand what I'm saying. The, The money is not the point. It's the joy that we receive from giving. It is the power that comes from obedience. I'm not presenting giving as a get-rich-quick scheme. On the contrary, I'm presenting it as a lay-down-your-life challenge. And we're not talking about giving to the church tonight. That's going to be a sermon that's coming up in this series. The next series after Mother's Day, we're going to do a series called 50-Day People. What does it mean to be a Pentecostal church in a modern-day world? And we're going to be talking about that. Tonight's about overspending. It's about managing your material resources and this idea of being cheerful embracing the reality that everything that you have belongs to God, but doing it with a heart that says, God, and I delight, I delight. And however you would have me do, whatever you would have me do with all that belongs to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7 is that famous verse where it says, God loves a cheerful giver. Whenever God speaks to our heart about stepping into moments of generosity, whether it be at some event like that or whether it be for a single mom in your neighborhood that you know that's in need, whether it be for a missionary that you find out about, right, that has a a need, there should be something inside of your heart that says, God, what do you want to do with your stuff? And when he tells you, there should be something in your heart that says, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to do what he wants to do. There should be greater pleasure that we derive from seeing him smile than keeping selfishly what he's entrusted to our care. Come on. I'm in control of my attitude. We do not have the freedom to live in this life with a victim mentality that says, well, Fred, I want to be cheerful. I just can't help it to be grumpy. Yes, you can. God has given you authority over yourself. Exercise it. If you're ha- hey, we all have bad days. All of us have days where we are grumpy. Sometimes our lives are pervaded by grumpiness. Come on, where, where's the applause? Come on. Come on. How about, yeah, how about a little flattery for the past, right? 
Hey, all of us have, wake, all of us have bad days. Sometimes we wake up that way. When, when those emotions are stirring in our heart, there should be something inside of us that says, hey, feelings, not today. Come on, you have authority over yourself. Don't live your life as a victim. Don't live your life as a victim. All right, number three. I'm going to do this one and one more. Am I expectant? Am I expectant? Now, expectancy is a, is a tricky one because if we're not careful, expectancy becomes entitlement. Expectancy is not, God, you owe me. Expectancy is, God, I believe that you always have my best interest at heart. Mark 10, 29 through 30 says, Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake, for the good news, will receive now in return. We're underlining we'll receive now because there are people that say that Jesus never talked about blessing us with material things in the here and now. Come on, they should read a little bit better. Right here, come on, in Mark chapter 10, he gives us a promise. In this life, there are times where he blesses us with material things. We'll receive now in return, a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. Now, we like to gloss over this next part, but this is an important part, along with persecution. That sometimes it means that God's greatest moments of outpouring of material possession comes to us in life in some of our greatest moments of despair. And I think some of the reasons why we never experience the great outpouring is because we don't like the despair or because we... We don't have a submitted heart with a cheerful attitude in a place of lack with a sense of expectancy despite our circumstances that goodness is going to come. And then he says, and in the world to come. It's one of the reasons why the vision statement for this church is heaven now, heaven forever. Come on, we'll receive now and in the world to come. Psalm 27, 13, we talked about that at the, the beginning of this year. It's a hallmark verse for us. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So if you've been a part of the church for an amount of time, you know that when Vanessa and our family, we moved here in 2007, we bought a townhome, and after two years of living in that townhome, we found out that it was, it was built with toxic Chinese drywall, and we had to move out. So our life savings, we invested into that townhome that now we own this, this we have this large mortgage and a house that's, house that's not worth anything. Redemptive affliction. I've suffered a, a lot in my life because of foolishness, and it feels good to suffer for a change in innocence. And our days aren't easy sometimes. Sometimes we get bad news. We got bad news on Monday. The bank's not foreclosed on our home yet. It's in a short sale, and we're hoping that's going to play out. There's a court case that's, that's working out. And, and when I'm praying, I pray Mark 10. Come on, a hundred times, Lord, right here. I'm if, if you don't give me anything, I'm okay. But if you want to give me a hundred times what we lost, I'm good with that too. So we get a call on Monday that the Homeowners Association has taken us to court for Homeowners Association dues, right? We've been trying to work with them. We've been trying to work out a payment plan. We're trying to do everything we can to forestall bankruptcy, and they just, they will not. They just, they're just unrelenting, completely insensitive, right? So on Monday when I got that call, you know what I want to do, right? Okay, what is the address of the chairman of the Homeowners Association? I want to minister to him with the laying on of hands. I was angry all day on Monday, angry. And all of a sudden, God began to whisper in my heart, are you going to be expectant or not? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. 
So on Tuesday, I get into the office early that morning, and, 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 and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, before you do a thing, read today's reading. Before you do a thing, you read today's reading. I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. Sit down in my chair and open up my iPad, turn to Bible Gateway, and there, it's, I think it's First Chronicles chapter 4, right there. It's the prayer of Jabez, right there in that day's reading. Come on. What's God saying to me? Hey, are you going to believe my promises? Or are you going to believe your circumstances? So he began to speak to my heart. Fred, have you ever thought, have you ever thought that maybe that it's the judge that's going to be the one that gives you the grace that you've been looking for? Do you trust me or not? Are you expectant of goodness in your life? And if you walk out of that court and the judge is just as insensitive as everybody else has been all along this journey, then you should be jumping up and down for joy in the parking lot all the way to the car because it just means that my goodness is waiting. And when you wait for God's goodness, it only always grows and gets better along the way. But it's not easy to live that way with that perspective, is it? We know. Every day, waking up in the face of financial ruin. But we're saying, as a family, and teaching our children, we are expecting good things because that's God's promise to us. And it's his promise to you. Am I going to focus on his promises and not my circumstances? Am I content? Am I content? And we've got to be careful about this one because contentment, if we're not careful, turns into a poverty mentality. See, expectancy gone awry is a, a demanding heart. It turns into a sense of entitlement. Contentment, if we're not careful, turns into a poverty mindset that just lives a life like of woe is me. And contentment and expectancy hold each other in a healthy tension. I live my life saying, God, I expect good things from you, but even if you were to never give me another thing all the days of my life and I live to be 150, what you've given to me already is enough. That's expectancy and contentment holding each other in a healthy tension. I'm going to read the first part of this. It's Luke 12, 15. It says, then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. And that's the, the Greek word there, pleonoxia. It says, life is not measured by how much you own. And then jumping down to verse 22, it's the famous text. You also find it in Matthew. It says, then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. And it goes on to talk about over and over and over the great promises of God to meet the needs that we have. Greed as a sin is not the sin of wanting to have the most. Greed is the sin of just wanting to have more than you have and not being satisfied. That's greed. That's greed. It's formed by two words, pleon and, 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 and exa, and it, and it means, it, 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 our echo, and it means to desire more. That's what greed is, is that you live your whole life with an attitude towards God that says this isn't enough, right? This isn't enough. And it causes God's gag reflex to kick right in. There should be something inside of us that says, God, I trust that the portion that you want to give to me, it's enough. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. This is in Philippians 4. And in just a minute, if you were up here praying at the altar, I'm going to invite you to come back in just a minute too so you can just get ready for that. <clears throat> This is Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Says, I this is the Apostle Paul. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have renewed your care for me. 
You were, in fact, concerned about me. This is Paul talking to the church of Philippi, but lack the opportunity to show it. And I don't say this out of need, for I have learned, listen to what he says, to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have little and how to have a lot. He knows how to be content and expectant at the same time. In all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. It's one of the misused, most misused verses of the Bible, right? It's always talking about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's only always talked about as overcoming and having more and victory. But you don't hear a lot of sermons talking about that verse when we have nothing. And us saying, hey, that's okay, God. I don't need to have any more because I trust my portion to you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The key to this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is that I can be a good steward in times of plenty. Come on. And I can also wait patiently in a place of lack because I am both expectant and content. I'm going to invite the people to come and take up their place. We're going to go back into a time of prayer tonight. We're going to worship a little bit. We've got some time. Am I trusting my more to his sovereignty? Am I trusting my more to his sovereignty? So I was praying for the service today and the reason why we're coming back to this time is because I'm just, I'm absolutely convinced that there's some people in here tonight that when we had an opportunity for you to come for prayer earlier, you didn't come. It's going to be on the test. This is the conversation you have with God. It's a conversation that many of us have. I'm going to go up in the next verse. And the next verse comes and you don't go, right? Anybody ever a conversation with God? All right, if they sing one more song, God, then I know that's my sign. If they sing one more song. If Fred touches his right ear with his left hand, then God, that's going to be a sign from you that I'm supposed to come forward for prayer. Hey, I know what it's like. It's not easy to be conspicuous. It's not easy to be, humble yourself. It's not easy to walk up into a room full of people and come forward for prayer. Hey, I get that. I get that. But it's going to be on the test. There's something up here waiting for you in a conversation with God. He wants to speak to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to maybe do something just supernatural in your heart that you can't even explain. You might not even know why you're coming. Maybe you came for prayer. You got back to your seat and you felt like God was saying, hey, I want you to go over and pray with that. And you're saying, you're, then you had this comfort. Well, God, I just came for prayer. If you had that to say to me, they want it, right? He's the sovereign creator of the universe. It's going to be on the test. He's the boss. We do what he says. I'm just telling you. There's somebody here, and you did not want to come, and so we're changing the service tonight for you because we don't want you to miss out on the gift of the grace of God that he wants to give to you in this moment. Come on, stand to your feet. Let's worship together.